Welcome to the Detroit Real Estate Expert Podcast, your place for top tips, helpful hints, fun stories, and all things real estate in and around Detroit. Today's episode features Jay Taylor and Dan DeFore, two members of Jay Taylor and Associates team, and they are going to share with you some of the craziest things that have happened to them in real estate, from being chased down by wild dogs to accidentally getting a listing. We hope that you sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast. Hmm. Talking to myself. Turn off your notifications. Put your phone on airplane mode. Do something. <laughs> what? Oh, we're starting. <laughs> Let's go. Liz doesn't want her voice on it, so she won't make any noises. All right. Cool. Hello, Jay. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to the second edition of the Detroit Real Estate Podcast. My name is Jake Taylor. I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Dan DeFore. Hello, hello. I work for Jay. Um, I'm a part of Jay Taylor and Associates. I'm basically our all-around office dog, right? Transaction coordinator, ISA, you name it. Awesome. So the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast is a place where we distill real estate information, talk about running a real estate team. And really we focus in Detroit, so there's a lot of fun stories. Today's podcast is gonna be about some of the craziest stories in real estate. Before I jump into that, a little bit about me. I've been in real estate for four years, been doing this team for two of those, and we do a lot of business in the Detroit area. We are closing on our 110th home today, and we're hoping to hit 120 before the year's over. Um, next year our goals are 200 homes, and we just continue growing. We work with investors, we work with first-time home buyers. We have a team of five agents that just can do literally everything in the city. So if you have a question about real estate, please reach out to us. Uh, Dan, we're gonna start off with you. What's one of your craziest stories you've heard when dealing with buyers, sellers, agents, anything? Yeah, so I kind of went a different route. So when I was asking agents and all this, I was trying to get just like one crazy story. But being in Detroit, I found kind of reoccurring themes in stories, mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting trend that I didn't expect. So first, animals, oh, no. right? And so my animal story, I've, I've actually got two decent animal stories that um, I've actually been a part of. So first one was just, kind of running into a, a stray pit bull with an investor with with Ben. Nothing too crazy, but definitely spooked. This guy had like flown in town from New York or somewhere. And we're perusing around a bunch of abandoned duplexes. And there's a pit bull maybe three lots down that kind of took interest to us. And this guy got a little spooked, hopped in his van and- Understandably so. Didn't end up buying anything that day. <laughs> um, I should mention that Detroit, uh, being one of the largest landmass cities in America, has a lot of it abandoned right now. And a lot of that abandonment uh, causes wild animals to be everywhere. We have wild pheasants that just have taken over fields. We have deer roaming the city. But one of the largest problems plaguing is roving packs of pit bulls. Well, so let's roll with that. I think that's a good place to start. It's like, 
Detroit is definitely a different place to do real estate than many, I think. I think it might have some similarities with a few other cities across the country, but what is it specifically about Detroit that you think um, it's, it's kind of a crazy place to do real estate, right? Like you said, it's a giant city with a fairly low population. So we've got a lot of abandoned buildings. Then we also have these, some of the most beautiful mansions in the world, I would say. So it's very, um, it's very interesting. What, what would you call it? Dichotomy here of like, yeah. right? I mean, for sure the, the neighborhoods are so diverse in the sense that you have one neighborhood that the average home sale price is going to be between $6,000 and $10,000. And then the adjacent neighborhood has a $1.5 million sale exactly. owned by Barry Gordy's two acre property. It's beautiful. And so even that property alone, a historic gem owned by one of the most historic uh, Motown owners and investors, you have this property that should sell for $10 million, barely clears 1.6. Right. Like yesterday I was driving home down Woodward. They're in Boston Edison, the last mansion on the corner. Don't remember the name of it, but it's this beautiful fenced-in mansion. I think it's listed for like $3 million. Mm -hmm. It's been on the market forever. Directly behind it, so there's an alleyway behind it, and then directly on the other side of that alleyway is like a 10-story abandoned apartment building. So that's the Kresge Mansion. Yeah, it's the view of it. And the wind court behind it. Yep. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, I think that's like a good thing to mention about Detroit is that Maybe, I don't want to say we see scenarios that you won't see anywhere else, but maybe some of these crazy scenarios are more frequent, especially something like uh, kind of like stray animals. Um, so let's well, start there. I know you, so you had a fascinating encounter yourself about a week ago. Yeah, I didn't even talk about this, but I think it's really fun I, to talk about. I think this. we, I heard the, the kind of quick version of it and kind of checked in with you and Melissa here and there to see what was going on, but take it, tell me from the beginning, what, what was going on last week at uh, Broad Street? Was yeah, it? I mean, I just watched the SNL show where Joe Biden says, I'm gonna tell you a story and it's gonna be long. So <laughs> I promise not to do a long story. Uh, I will say that we represented both sides of the transaction. The investor who owned the home decided not to finish the home and said, hey, could you sell it for us? So we did a, a full market analysis, found a price point, marketed it, and found a buyer uh, who was willing to pay top dollar. And so when you bring a buyer to the table and a seller to the table, you're kind of stuck in the middle, dual agency, trying to equally represent both parties without you know, undermining your agency relationship. And it was going really smoothly until the home was sold, the keys were being transferred, and the home had been left in the basement, a stray pit bull. So was this um, final walkthrough or was this actually after? Well after the final walkthrough, because there was gonna be about a three day uh, exodus from the home of the, the house sitter, the property manager. So so documents had been signed. Yeah, everything's done, everything's done. Well, the keys hadn't been exchanged yet. So on the third day after the sale, the seller was gonna hand over the keys to the buyer and the seller let me know, uh, our house sitter left the dog. And he's been hungry and alone for three days. Do we know the story about the house sitter? No. Don't know a whole lot there? Don't know a whole lot there. Okay. We do know that the dog was a pit bull, a young one though. Um, 
And during one of my tours of the home, in fact, the tour with this current buyer, uh, the dog had been there and was really friendly and healthy and happy. Sure. So we had no reason to assume that this dog would be left. But nonetheless, there it is, uh, chained up in the basement. Uh, the basement at this point, three days later, smelled like dog feces. And Sure. Yeah, so from my perspective, you and I were just in the office one afternoon. I think I was about to head home and you're like, yeah, I'm heading out too. I'm going to get this dog out of Broad Street. I'm like, that's great. Glad, glad you're doing that, you know, for the sake of the animal. And then I thought as I'm going to pick up my own dog from doggy daycare, I'm like, does Jay have a leash or does Jay have um, pretty much anything to handle basically an unfamiliar dog in a no, I didn't. In the house right now? And the problem I had was I'm an ethical dog owner myself. And right. I know that there are plenty of shelters out there that if, if the dog isn't claimed in a certain amount of time, the dog will be put down. And this, you know, pit bull is the least likely to be adopted in the shelter. Right. So I, one thing I wasn't going to do was just call a shelter and have them pick it up. And uh, so I, it was an ill-planned event where I went there with no dog leash. The dog, I was hoping it had some kind of a collar I could grab onto, but again, an angry pitbull, how am I going to get close enough to grab its collar? Right. right. And so, so what, well, what happened? Was it growling at I'd like to think that my new nickname is Dog Whisperer yeah. because uh, in about 20 minutes of me standing at the top of the stairs and then standing halfway down the stairs and then standing at the bottom of the stairs and getting closer with some uh, funny story, I had some beef jerky in my car yeah. from a snack that I had not eaten yet. And I just, little chunks thrown to the dog until it knew that what I was throwing at it smelled good, tasted good, and he wanted to get closer. And by the time this uh, 20 minutes was up, I had the dog eating out of my hand. Um, there was a chain on site, and I uh, was able to use that chain to hook up to the dog's collar that, you know, it had a collar. Yeah. And... And from the there. dog out of the house um, again, didn't have a cage at home for the dog and the dog was wild and crazy. Couldn't trust the dog alone in my house. So a neighbor had a cage and the, the dog stayed in this kennel overnight. Found a, found a happy home, happy home on good. Facebook for this dog. It's always good to hear it. I followed happy up maybe three or four times with the adoptees or the, the adoptive family yeah. and the dog was doing great. Good, good work. I'm glad you came out of there with all your limbs. Yeah, well, I was staying on this you know, animal trend too long. I know you were on a tour with a, an agent of ours and you ended up adopting a dog also. Or not you, but the yeah. agent. Yeah, we, me and, so Ben's an agent on our team who works with a lot of out-of-state and even out-of-country uh, investors. So he does a lot of the kind of legwork of going through some of these abandoned places and taking videos and sending back photos. Um, so he's always running into you know, you name it in some of these places. Um, but I used to love to tag around with them as I was just learning the business. Like I hadn't done any showings, been super knowledgeable as far as like what to spot in the houses, like what's good, what's bad. Cause on first glance, some of these houses, if you don't know anything, you look at it and you're like, there's nothing here. Like, what do you do with this? You know, they look like a mess, but there's some little things you can find that. But anyway, so we're, we're driving through a neighborhood going to check out the house and we we pass by it's like a little white uh, terrier just walking out across some front lawns 
literally like a scene out of a movie kicking a like Campbell's soup can down the road. Sniffing, yeah, and I'm you know, I always see that stuff when I was a kid, like my mom was the lady who would grab any stray dog off the street and like throw it in the back seat with me when I was a kid. So I'm like super used to just grabbing dogs like that. If, if I know they're not with an owner, obviously. Um, so I was like, oh, that's really sad. We go to the house that we were initially going to and we were leaving. I'm like, let's do one more loop around. And if we see that dog, you know, let's kind of investigate further and see if maybe it ran away from a house nearby. Granted, nine out of 10 houses on this block are vacant. Um, so we drive back around and yeah, sure enough, it's just an ugly scene. Like it's going through trash in this front yard. So we get out of the car and we try to, you know, get it to come to us. We are like whistling at it and, you know, getting down on our hands and knees and it freaks out and runs up to the porch of um, the house, the front yard that it was in. So we're like, okay, maybe it lives here. Inside the house, we could hear, it sounded like 10 big dogs in there, aggressively barking. There's trash all in the front yard. And we both kind of just looked at each other and Ben just didn't say anything, made the executive decision and just walked. The, the dog basically like curled up into the fetal position at that point. And Ben just made the executive decision, walked up, knocked on the door once, waited about two seconds, took the dog, took it home, and now him and his girlfriend kept it. And it's a great, great little dog. They thought it was pregnant for a while, but didn't end up being pregnant. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of these dogs are uh, we'll call bait dogs, and they'll use them for really unfortunate uses. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we've maybe spent longer than we intended the, to talk about animals, dogs, yeah. but I will say that, uh, you know, I've come across three or four homes where the dogs that were locked inside had been locked inside for too long and they had died. Right. Um, we've come across decomposing animals in houses. It's, right. it's a very sad landscape in Detroit. So when you see one that's been left abandoned, you do something right. about it. Yeah, and it's kind of on, I, I used to actually work in the Detroit Health Department with the Detroit Animal Care and Control. And from seeing that from the inside, it's a program that's completely like underfunded, understaffed. So the, the onus is kind of on the citizens of Detroit to like taking it to the shelter, you know, it's most likely not going to have a home in the near future. Yeah. It's kind of up to people to, to take it on themselves. But anyway, that's certainly a common trend. Totally. That I hear a lot about in Detroit. Another one is um, like squatters and, and things of the like. So I know Ben, once again, going through some of these houses, they, you know, don't have running water, don't have electricity, anything like that. But occasionally you'll walk in one and there will be either what looks like a person is living there or an actual person. I was one, I wanted to ask you if you've ever had yeah. like a run in with any. I, without trying to make Detroit seem like the worst place to buy real estate sure, in the no, world, yeah. I can tell you this I have walked into a home that is vacant. The, the realtor has said, this is a vacant home. They're selling it as a vacant home. And there's no reason for there to be anybody living there. Sure. And when you walk in the front door, you hear noises and there's a breeze coming from the back and there's a lit cigarette sitting there on the table. And so you, you know someone was in there <laughs> just a few seconds ago. 
And the thought is maybe the owner has asked a person to house it. Sure. And that's usually the judgment of charity, given the benefit of a doubt to the seller and the realtor. But there's always the real possibility that someone has just found an empty house and choosing to, to yeah. use the term squat in the house. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I love that idea of there's 66% of the city is abandoned. Uh, and so it's the one city where as a, as a person who doesn't have a home or is maybe transient and looking for a home, there would be no reason for them to be cold out on the street when there are plenty of vacant right. homes they could just hang well, out in. With that said, a lot of times too, it's not just somebody like breaking into a home and claiming it as theirs. Oftentimes, right, it's like a, they were a renter at one point. There's a lot of like overseas landlords. Yeah. And, you know, something happens where they're not satisfied with their landlord and they just kind of stay there or the landlord, you know, stops maintaining the property. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a sad thing, but oftentimes the squatter like isn't the bad guy, right? Like these are just normal people living in a house that they did pay for at one point. Also, you're currently doing your real estate uh, exam. Mm -hmm. You're working towards your license. Have you gotten to the section on uh, squatter's rights? and where that can become actually an owner? No, I mean, so so go a little farther and I'll see if it like jogs my yeah, mind. There, there are certain rules in every single state in real estate that if you uh, are in a vacant home long enough yeah. and you can show that you're making material improvements to the home, you can show that you are covering the utilities for the home. Uh, in certain states, it's 15 years of this, allows you to take ownership of the home You'll, you'll cover this yeah. in real estate. In Detroit, it's actually shorter. It's seven years, allows you to take ownership of a home that's been vacant. Uh, and so a lot of these homes in Detroit are city owned and people have just downright made it their mission to stay in it long enough before the city notices so they can claim it as their own. Yeah. yeah. I think they put new roofs on it, they're putting windows in it, waiting for that seventh year. It's good. Um, I have a, a different kind of story I wanted to go into. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite crazy real estate stories and it's very specifically as a person who sells a lot of homes the, the listing side requires a certain confidence requires a certain uh, creativity to help a person market their home for top dollar and help them achieve that price uh, but also sometimes it just requires being in the right place at the right time yeah uh, and so my favorite story is getting a phone call while I was driving in my car, I was heading to the office. I had nothing on my agenda for about an hour. Uh, and I got a phone call from this very angry lady. Uh, and it was a number I didn't recognize. So as I answer it and she's like, Jay, where are you? I'm sitting there thinking, wow, what have I done wrong? I'm like, who is this? She's like, Mom? She's like, Jay, it's Tony, where are you? And I'm like, um, I'm driving on McNichols. What do you need? She's like, you were supposed to be here an hour ago with a photographer. So at this point, my brain is tying it together. She thinks I'm someone else who also happens to be named Jay. What are the ironies there? Yeah. Uh, so I say, all right, I'm so sorry that you've been waiting all this time. Uh, I'll be right over. What's the address again? Yes, just roll, <laughs> kind of with, just roll it. with it. She gives me the address. I'm 12 minutes away. I tell her, hey, I'll be there in 12 minutes. I then call one of my friends who's really great with the camera. Uh, he runs an Instagram account called Stylish Detroit. And I say, hey, buddy, can you meet me at this house ASAP? And he's like, yeah, I can be there within the hour. And so I orchestrated where as I pull up and she just starts laughing because she knows that she doesn't know me when she sees me. 
And she says, you're not Jay. I'm like, well, funny story, I am. And I hand her my business card. My name actually is Jay, but you're thinking of a different one. She says, yeah, yeah, my Jay's black. And I'm like, <laughs> so tell me about this Jay that you're angry at. And he was her realtor yeah. who failed to get her a photographer on time, failed to get her home listed on time. And I say, if I can get my photographer here within the hour and your home can be marketed for full price, like, will you go with me instead of yeah, Jay? Give me a shot. And she did. She gave me a shot right then. I sold her home for full price. And it was at the beginning of this relationship that's just hilarious because not every time she calls me, she calls me mad. Um, but she's not really. Do you remember what neighborhood this was in? Yeah, I was on Sorrento, just west of the Lodge Freeway. Cool, cool. There's another story you've never specifically told me, but I read it when we were working on that um, ebook. So I, I read it from your perspective, kind of written down, but I know it was like your first um, basically purchase and, and renovation that you did yourself in Detroit. Yeah. So you bought a house for for a thousand dollars from the land bank and then what yeah so i think anyone who does detroit real estate long enough has seen articles written in the free press or has read about them in the new york times that there are these thousand dollar houses in detroit and the idea is so alluring and so promising that everyone wants to give it a try the land bank is this beautiful organization that has a lot of bad press their goal their mission is to take these homes that are too far gone put them back in the hands of homeowners who will renovate them and whether they want to then turn them into investment properties to rent or resell for a profit or keep for themselves. They don't care. As long as the home has been brought back to rehab status, they've fulfilled their mission. So they sell them at such a low price. There's almost a zero bar entry. Now, do you have to be a um, resident of Michigan to buy from the land bank? I'm or can you believing be? anyone can do it. Okay. They let you do only one at a time until you've proven yourself and then you can do multiple. Okay. But yeah, so this home I bought for $1,000. It was my first local Detroit purchase besides my own home. It was my first Detroit investment property. And were you a licensed realtor? I was. Yeah, okay. How far, how long had you been licensed if you had to guess? Was it like your Six first? Six months. Okay, so yeah. fairly new. Fairly new. Just playing it by ear kind of thing. Yeah, so I bought it on a credit card because <laughs> it's only $1,000. Rather than front my cash, I just put it on the credit card with zero interest. And then I bought all the uh, renovation materials at the Home Depot on zero interest. Uh, and I, over the next six months, renovated this $1,000 duplex into two tenanted properties, racking up about $50,000 of credit card debt uh, with the end goal of selling it as a tenanted duplex for eighty dollars or $90,000, pay off the credit card debt and move on. Unfortunately, the land bank added some obstacles to it. One of them being, uh, I didn't find out until too late in the process that they had cut the water line, that it had a lead service line. So once you put a building in Detroit on a dangerous building list and cut the water line and remove it from city services, if you buy that building, it's on you to remove the lead service line, to restore water to the home and take it off the dangerous buildings list. Which is a giant project. It's a huge undertaking. Especially for your yeah. first uh, as a first one you know, i'm sitting there at the city of detroit water commission i'm sitting there with the demolition team i'm sitting there with all these different local experts and just saying i'm new to this i don't know what i'm doing and they were very generous and very kind and at the end of the day it took almost two years to take this home from the thousand dollars to the final sale wow 
beauty is in that two years, it had grown in value by so much that I was able to sell it for nearly $100,000 and made a beautiful profit. But in that time, I was carrying $50,000 of credit card debt that yeah, I just had to make monthly payments on. I mean, what kind of kept you going in that situation? Because that had to be such a high daily stressor for you, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if I had known how stressful it would have been going into it, I would have said no. Right. However, once you've started the process and you've sunk $50,000 into it, you're not gonna walk away from it. Yeah. So you just keep day by day chipping away at it. I had tenants in it by then because they had gotten water restored, they had gotten electricity back to the building, so the tenants had a great location to live in. So I was making monthly income off the property it was actually a, a great investment from day one till day nearly 700, yeah. but uh, not without its hiccups along the way. What neighborhood was that one in? Just north of the Bagley neighborhood, so between Outer Drive and 8 Mile. Yeah, and for those who don't know, that's the, the 48221 zip code here in Detroit is yeah, super, super desirable. There's mm -hmm. still areas today that, that you can get in at a pretty low bar of entry, but um, definitely one of the most promising zip codes there are. It's where you, University District is, yeah. Palmer Woods, all those. So I wanna wrap this up knowing that we are nearing the end of our podcast, but I do wanna just say that there are so many stories that we can, we can cover this again. One of the, the stories I didn't get to is we are currently helping uh, some gentlemen in the city buy for an HGTV show. And the stories that come from them buying and flipping homes that they're gonna then make a, a really great weekly show out of is fun. Nicole Curtis does one already in Detroit. It really is just guaranteed, like it's gotta be a successful show. I mean, people love, love that kind of stuff. Yeah, taking some of them from trash to a treasure. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to talk about these bizarre moments in real estate history. and. Also, just, I mean, sometimes they diverge from real estate and just come into doing the right thing. Exactly. That's real estate in Detroit. I think it's a unique, uh, it'll, it'll test your character most times. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you again, and we'll tune in next time. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Detroit Real Estate Expert Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, be sure to tell your friends, subscribe, so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in more of what we do, you can find us on Instagram at JTA Realtors. That's J-T-A-R-E-A-L-T-O-R-S. Or on Facebook as J. Taylor & Associates. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.